Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So now, y'all have probably heard this story before, but I'm, I'm going to tell it again. It's a story about a young family who have had to spend most of their life together going and traveling from one family to the other. You know, every holiday they are having to go far away. You know, that's what happens when you first start your own family. It's hard to get your own roots set. But eventually, usually once the children come, then that young family finds, finally gets to set its flag in the ground and say, this year, we're going to have Thanksgiving at our place. Now all the families come to your house. And the story goes that this young couple, very first time doing Thanksgiving, now I've heard it a couple different ways, turkey or ham, but let's, let's go with ham. It makes a little bit more sense there. They're finally taking care of the ham. They've got the sides going, they're going, and finally they start getting ready for the ham to go into the oven, and one spouse begins to cut the end of the ham off. Now, other, fam- you know, other, other spouses like, dear, why are you doing that? Well, I don't know, replies the spouse. I just have always done that. It's how I was taught when I was growing up. So, you know, that will become a topic of conversation. That first Thanksgiving at somebody's house, well, mom, why did you always cut the end off of your hand? The mom replies, well, it's the way my mom did it. Now, a phone call goes to the grandmother. Well, why did you do this? That's the way my parents did it. Until finally, throughout the archives, going back through the old recipe books, you find great-grandma's Thanksgiving ham recipe that mentions that the end is cut off because the oven is too small to fit a whole ham. It's funny how these things laid down year after year, generation after generation can have that kind of effect. Oftentimes we follow them because they seem like the right thing to do. But if they're unexamined, they can have unintended consequences. I mean, I like the end of the ham. I don't want to lose that. And the moral of this story, I'm sure, again, if you've heard it before, it's, it's simply that we have to look at the heart of the matter. We have to look at the why. And this is also what Jesus is doing today in our gospel today. What is the heart of the rule is what matters. Jesus today is routinely going back to edicts that consistently sound reminiscent of the Ten Commandments, don't they? They Don't murder, don't steal, don't all this kind of stuff. And these are arguably the most famous rules of the over 600 rules in the Hebrew Scriptures Most folks can get to these 10 and say, ah, I always know those 10 commandments. But in his response, and if you remember before this text a couple weeks ago, we remember that Jesus says that he is here to fulfill the law. Jesus is starting to help us understand how that fulfillment will occur. And to fill the law is to push us beyond them and to go deeper. Now, Jesus almost develops a sort of A, B, A, B rhythm and counterpoint 
in the Sermon on the Mount. You heard about murder, for instance, but let's consider the heart of the matter. Let's consider our anger. You have heard about adultery from people, but let's consider the heart. Let's consider the story about lust. Or, you have heard about divorce, but let's consider the heart. A heart of convenience, because if we pay attention to the context of the time and an era when marriage was very different than it is today, it's interesting to think where Jesus might be pushing back on people who might have facilitated divorce because it was better for them financially or for some other reasons. And on and on Jesus goes. And certainly in the beginning of this, the Beatitudes, it was the same rhythm. You've heard about this difficult way of doing living life, but let me tell you about what is good on the other side. A to B, point to counterpoint. You've heard about this thing, but let me tell you what's at the heart of the issue. You've heard about vows, for instance, but let me tell you what the heart of the matter is, and it is your integrity. You know, our earlier story could be thought of the same way. You've heard about cutting the ham, but what's at the heart of the matter? Oven space. This move by Jesus then requires something different from his followers. And it requires them not to look at the law as an end unto itself, but instead as a means to a further end. And in doing so, it moves from certainty to ambiguity. And that ambiguity leads from exclusion to inclusion. You know, it's much easier, for instance, to determine and manage the consequences of murder, of divorce, of speaking a vow, of swearing on something. You, you usually can tell whether somebody is murdered or not. That's not hard to figure out, right? Much harder than to figure out whether somebody's angry, whether somebody's lustful, whether somebody is doing things out of convenience, or whether somebody is living by their integrity or otherwise. It's far more ambiguous. You know, those latter end up becoming, you know it when you see it kind of things. But it also means that perhaps people can find their way to the right end, even if they don't precisely adhere to the same means. Because my experience has been that we are far more apt to engage in conflict when we focus solely on the law as the end. Indeed, I'd, I'd argue most of our current cultural fights, well, let's be honest, any cultural fight, is probably more about the law as ends. You know, why not? There is a certain comfort you've always been the family that cuts the end off their ham. We're, we're known as the ham-cutting family. Do it every year. We're, we're not sure why, but we do it every year, and you know what? We're proud. Meanwhile, the family across the street is the uh, always keep the end on your ham family. We're proud of why we do that, too. The interesting question would be, amongst these two families, what happens when they get together and share a family neighborhood Thanksgiving? I imagine somewhere in this country, there is a family that does not speak to another family on the basis of Thanksgiving ham.
And as silly as that sounds, applied to a lot of other different topics, well, we found that wars have been fought over just about the same level of silliness. Most of our polarization, I'd argue, might be as much about discovering what rules we choose to adhere by and which ones we see wrong. So instead, we trade the comfort of shared means with a promise of an expansive space of moving the right ends, even if it's more difficult and ambiguous. This is what Jesus is offering us today. We spend less time debating the finality of murder and more time exploring all the ends to reconsider anger and right living with our neighbors. And this is why, too, that in my preaching and the way that I try to work in a community of believers, I seek to explore these things. I'm fully convicted of Karl Barth, one of my favorite theologians of all time, his encouragement to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, but interpret that paper through the Bible. It's not that we should seek to develop a series of rules in order to know who is in and who is out, or to adhere to means become law, whether that's a certain politic, whether that's a certain cultural approach. Instead, I would argue that for us to do what God is calling, what Jesus is laying out here, it is to try to get to the heart of each of these issues, the deeper questions, the ambiguities of the moment, the deeper whys that bind each of us. You heard, dear friends, about something that's happening, us, happening around us, but let's take some time and consider the deeper issues that are at heart. Which certainly may mean at times it might cause cognitive dissonance inside each of us, as I'm sure it did with the people listening to Jesus. It may mean that for as many people who walk away feeling like what they've reflected on was exactly right on a Sunday, there will be other people who disagree. And I would see that, honestly, as a net positive. The question ought to be, then, what matters? That it's not a fight on the law, but an exploration on the heart. How are each of our hearts connecting to the matter at hand? And truly, in my heart of hearts, I think in yours, when we strip away all the laws we adhere on top of ourselves on each other and we determine who's in and who's out and who cuts the ham and who doesn't, I think that after all of that, I wonder if what we're all looking for is not a law, but a heart. You know, when I have looked around this sanctuary in the last two and a half years, I think about the people who have connected to this congregation, who have made it home. I'd argue they run the gamut of just about every single modern American that's within any sort of distance of Jacksonville, Florida. There are young people. There are old people. There are rich folks and poor folks, gay, straight, and of multiple races, ethnicities, and backgrounds. 
But perhaps most importantly, if we go past all of that and we get to the heart of the matter, they are all, each and every single one, beloved children of God who have found their way to a particular moment in a particular place to understand the world as they experience it. Their means have somehow drawn them to an end. And if I take Jesus seriously over this whole discourse in the Sermon of the Mount, I think that looks a lot like God's heavenly commonwealth. A place where rich folks and poor folks and every type of persuasion come together and they do the work of God together. That sounds pretty much like what we read in the text. So how, how do we live this out, though? I mean, this is always the question. Oh, stuff sounds good, Adam, but you know, how do you actually do it? Well, I would go back to the ham story, personally. I think the first thing we do is we acknowledge the place where we have allowed law to become the end. Maybe a good rule of thumb, and this is one I try to abide by in my own heart, right? Is that when I read a text, or I listen to a text on a Sunday, or even if I go back and listen to my own sermon, I ask myself, does something feel more like a political fit than a biblical fit? If we decry something in the text as too conservatively outdated or dangerously too social justice oriented, then perhaps for a moment it might be saying more about ourselves than the text. And that's okay. Remember, friends, I am just as convicted of this stuff as you are. While I stand here at a pulpit, one of the things about the Presbyterian Church, it's like what the elders commit to and what we'll commit to here today and what I commit to are almost the exact same thing. I am not elevated here because I know more or because I get it better than you do. Far from it. When I look at these texts, I'm sitting right there in the pews with you looking up at Jesus and trying to understand what does it mean for me in my life. I'm convicted by those things. If anything, just, just gives better visibility so I can see who's nodding off. It's good for me to know. At times, we can hear these texts and they bother something in us. They rustle something in our hearts. Well, let's ask why. Why does it bother us? And to ask that question requires the complicated discussions that explore context, history, and the vulnerability to hear one another in our difference. That's one thing I'll say over the last couple of weeks, I've probably gotten more feedback about a couple of my sermons than I have in the two and a half years I've been here. But I've appreciated every single person, whether they were, they said, really love what you're saying, Adam, or like, I, I don't know about this, Adam. Either way, it's been terrific, because you know what it's meant? It's meant that we've had conversations about our hearts, and we've been vulnerable with each other, and we explored what it meant to study the text together. That's amazing! 
There is a marketplace of ideas that interpret the law. You know the Hebrew tradition is full of rabbis debating with each other the same laws over and over and over again. That's the Talmud. That's all. It's been going on for centuries. We have a lot of lawyers in this church. Lawyers spend their entire lives debating the law and its consequence. We do that all the time, all across. That, that is good. If we have the same end, the means can be up for debate. But to even get there, you have to ask why. And then finally, I think it is developing the rhythms of a deepening heart to ask ourselves over and over again, I've heard this thing with certainty, but what of the ambiguity? I've heard about this thing that I was raised to be convinced is the only way to look at this, but what of the ambiguity? What of the other people in the room? What are the other people? What are, what are the stories I'm hearing? And what might be at the root of what it tells us about ourselves and God? See, at the end of the day, you know, if you remember when I, when I started this series, I said, Matthew's not my guy. I don't really like the Gospel of Matthew, and I think I finally figured out why. Because I love Mark's Jesus, who's always cranky and very direct. Because, you know what? Mark gets to the point. Mark just tells you how it is. I like that. I like, just get me to the end. Matthew makes you have to consider these means. Matthew forces you to have to re-examine how you live your life. And that's obnoxious to me. Who does Matthew think he is to make me change the rhythms of my life. Just give me Mark, let me be angry, and let me move on. I've really had to have my own change of heart with Matthew. And as we end this series of Jesus Emmanuel forever, who promises that he's going to be here until justice has been done and everything is right, we're going to head on to, tra to Transfiguration Sunday. I just want to leave you with this is that I think the world needs Matthew now. The world needs a gospel that doesn't give us the easy answer, that doesn't just give us the ends, but instead challenges us to also reconsider our means. But the good news has always been in this gospel. God's commonwealth is right around the corner. That the gospel is always there. So as I've ended every week, it's just, are we ready? Are we ready to go deeper? Are we ready to let go of the things that hold us from continuing to cut the end off the ham? Because there is where I think 
Jesus Christ will continue to meet us and his church. Thanks be to God.